Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. Uh, my co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham. On today's show, we're going to discuss suicide prevention with the Minneapolis VA and family programs with the Minnesota National Guard. But before we start, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Traditional Guard members drill primarily one weekend a month. That means nearly all of our soldiers and airmen have other careers and other responsibilities outside of their military service. Two of the most prominent responsibilities are family and employment. The Minnesota National Guard recognizes this challenge of balancing responsibilities and provides resources to assist. Our family programs teams work tirelessly to support our military families. They offer military youth programs, transition assistance for members preparing to leave the military, and a connection to other valuable resources. Our employers support guard and reserve program known as ESGR ensures that employers understand exactly what it means to employ a guard member. The ESGR program also recognizes the standout companies in our community who provide exceptional support to our guard members, be it at home, at the office, or in uniform. We all do a better job and feel better about it if we've got the right support. Here in Minnesota, we've got the right support. Thank you, General Mackey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I said at the opening, my co-host today in the studio is Doug Wortham. And, Doug, we got a good show today, a couple of good uh, uh, topics to talk about. I'm going to take on suicide prevention in the first one. And uh, a topic that I think is close to your heart is uh, how to take care of your soldiers and airmen and the Minnesota National Guard in the second half. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I want to say it's great to be back in the studio with you, too, uh, doing this co-hosting. But but you're absolutely right. Our families couldn't be more important to uh provide that support to the service members uh, because we know the toll that uh, service does take on both that service member and the family. So family support is a, a great foundation that we need. Should be fun. Let's see what we can learn. Joining me now is Eric Wittenberg, uh, who is an active duty Army veteran who deployed to Afghanistan in 2010. He served as the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System Suicide Prevention Coordinator for the past five years and helps oversee the uh, Veterans Crisis Line referrals. Eric, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Yes, very happy to be here. Um, thanks for having us today. And uh, not not much more of an important topic to talk about right now than veteran suicide and update everybody on the new changes to the Veterans Crisis Line. And Eric, the last few years when we've talked about things at the VA, it's all been clouded up by the pandemic and COVID, and we're going to find out how that's affected your job. But you brought a special guest with you. You want to introduce her? Yes, I did. Um, brought Julia Plenty, a clinical social worker who currently is the longest standing member of the Minneapolis Suicide Prevention Team right now. Um, so I'll let her introduce herself. Julia, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. We are very excited to be here to get to get the word out, um, to get the resources out there for our veterans um, and their family members. And you've actually spent quite a bit of time on the Veterans Crisis Line. I have. For the last eight and a half years, I've been a responder um, to our calls made to the Veterans Crisis Line. All right. We're going to see if we can discover some things about suicide prevention today. And Eric alluded to the pandemic. Uh, during those two tough pandemic years, were your calls up or down? And, and what's happened this year? I understand that the number of calls have picked up. Any any idea why? Yeah, so we did see a slight increase over the pandemic, um, and what we've kind of come up with is we've seen a different kind of caller, so not so much focused as much on mental health and suicide crisis, although we get a few of those calls, but just the general state of you know the world and, and the, the U.S., um, we got callers who just needed a lot more support 
um, calling for anything from homelessness to finances to getting set up with care, trying to get into the VA, and of course, you know, anxiety, depression, trying to get into treatment, um, and all those things. So um, it has spiked a little bit, especially in the past year as well. Um, and like we said, uh, the increase is really just, I think, to an overall um, anxiety um, about life and, and the struggle that we're having right now. So we're happy to feel all those and, of course, um, manage the ones for suicide um, crises as well. We're talking about suicide prevention with the Minneapolis VA healthcare system on Minnesota Military Radio. Julia, can you tell us the process of what happens on the veterans crisis line? If somebody calls in, uh, Eric mentioned a number of things, homelessness, some other things. Is that actually kind of a referral? You figure out what the problem is and then try to get them to the right people? Yes. And so we do have, or the Veterans Crisis Line has three national call centers. And so when a veteran or their family member calls into um, into the crisis line, a responder at one of those three call centers helps to de-escalate um, that initial crisis. They work with that veteran or family member to um, to provide resources, to determine safety. And at the end of every contact with the Veterans Crisis Line, that veteran or their family member is asked if they would like additional follow-up from their home VA. So depending on how the call goes, you have an idea or a short list of resources that you can get them to the, the appropriate people to help them. Yes. And so if the veteran agrees or the family member agrees to additional follow-up, um, we receive what's called a consult. And in that consult, we are provided with the um, with the details of that contact, um, as well as maybe resources that had been provided, um, assessment of safety, and that sort of a thing. We then have to respond within 24 hours of that of receiving of that consult. Um, when we, we call our veterans, as Eric mentioned, we are seeing um, a wide variety of calls to the crisis line. Um, our hope is, and by being here today, is providing this resource, getting the word out about this resource, so we can hopefully prevent our veterans, our family members, um, from reaching that point of crisis, reaching that point of experiencing thoughts of suicide. Eric, I just want to come back to you for a minute. Now, when a, you know, when a veteran calls in on the Veterans Crisis Line, you said there's a couple of or two or three call centers, and then those calls are sent out around the country, and the Minneapolis VA is one of the one of the choices. Yep, um, I think there's about 153 VA medical centers um, nationwide, and of course some of the other territories. And so once they realize they have access to all our charts and records as well, they can uh, triage where that person um, would need to to be seen or their home base. And last fiscal year, we did over 1,300 um, veteran crisis line calls that our team uh, managed and and reached out to. So that's that's quite a large number as we're a larger facility, um, but any. Anybody in any country um, uh, can call the VCL and get some help from what they need. So you might get a call from anywhere in the United States. Yep, or even including uh, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, um, even people can call the VCL from Europe, um, from Asia, if they're struggling, and they have a program within the Veterans Crisis Line to help those folks that are overseas as well. Pretty amazing stuff. It is. Julia, when when a call comes in and you take a call, do you see on your screen where it's coming from and the number and so forth? And do you have access to local support if it's needed right away? Yes, we do. And so we do receive 
name of the caller, um, their location, um, as well as, again, the gist of that contact. Um, and from there, what's required, we do make contact or attempt to make contact within 24 hours of receiving that call. Um, we then, we work to assist our veterans to get established in VA care if they so desire, um, connecting them with their veteran service officer. Um, or, for example, if they desire to be connected in care, connecting them to somebody in the community if the VA VA isn't for them. So you've said there were like three call centers to take the initial call. If, if a veteran calls in and says, I need help right now, I'm thinking about shooting myself. Do they call the, the local authorities first and then route it to you so you can talk to them while they're on the way? I would say um, the responders at the call centers are really going to um, to help to de-escalate at all possible. Um, you know, I think that people have a there's a stigma, right, about calling and, and asking for help because we're concerned that a welfare check will be initiated right off the bat, that the police or EMS will arrive to our home. And I think our hope is, and one of the biggest protective factors is keeping you in your in your space, keeping you, you know, around protective factors, your support system, um, the awesome things that you have going in your life. So we're going to do all that we can to keep you in your space. Keep you where you're most comfortable. Absolutely. Talk you off the ledge and then see how can we help you. Yes. And if EMS, you know, or police, if, if we indicate that that is needed because you are an imminent risk and you're unable to maintain your safety at this time, then we will do what we can to initiate a welfare check. Eric's shaking his head yes. I think he agrees with everything you've said yeah. there, Julia. Now you handled thousands of these calls. Do they are, are do they get routine? I don't think I wouldn't think so. I would say that every single call is is different. Every single call. It doesn't mean that we don't have you know veterans or family members that are utilizing the resource you know more frequently. But every single call varies. I mean, we have those who are experiencing an episode of suicidality. Those thoughts are present. I mean, they're they're struggling to get through their day. We have others who are. I'm on. I'm living on the streets. I don't have a roof over my head. Or I'm struggling. You know, I I lost my job. How am I going to you know pay my rent? Pay my mortgage? And every single veteran life is important, so you have to take them seriously and one at a time, right? One at a time. We're talking about uh, uh, veteran suicide prevention today in Minnesota Military Radio. We'll be back with more in just a minute. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host today in the studio is Doug Wortham, and he's going to be on the second half of the show. We're talking to Eric Wittenberg and Julia Pelenny about uh, suicide prevention from the Minneapolis VA healthcare system. And Eric, I want to just clarify something. Uh, they've got the three call centers that uh, they kind of stage those calls and they do the initial triage, whatever whatever word you want to use. Then do they give you callback information or distribute that to throughout the, the VA system and, and you make those callbacks then? Or, or do you do direct calls or do you get a few of those too? Yep. So the way it works is I think there's a misconception that if you call the um, crisis line, you're going to get set up right with your uh, home facility. But there's currently three call centers in the nation that manage the veterans' calls. And so the process is they're able to access records and figure out what the best um, location for you or where you're getting your care. So once they deem that that person is safe, 
um, and they can make a referral, or if they need to send out emergency services, they can. Um, then my program gets the um, consults um, in, in live time, usually within about five minutes, um, for us to outreach to the to the veteran. Like Julia said, we have 24 hours to make that initial call. We do sometimes get what we call cold calls. Um, you know, our number has been out there on a lot of print materials, so um, veterans might call because they got, you know, my number or Julia's number from another veteran, and they can just call us directly and say, hey, I need some help, and in which case we will absolutely um, stop what we're doing to, to help the veteran in that case. Very good. Julia, we, we hear over and over again, used to be 22 veterans a day uh, committed suicide, now it's something like 20. How many calls do you get? How many How many people need help? Yes, and so on average, I would say we're getting about – Five or six calls a day, I would say. And as Eric had mentioned earlier, during our last fiscal year, we had over 1,300 calls that had come through to Minneapolis. Um, of Those are the ones, right, where the, where the veteran identified that, yes, I do want additional follow-up. I believe that there are many more veterans who are utilizing this resource, but maybe finding after talking with the initial responder that their crisis is, has de-escalated, they're feeling much more safe in their space, they've been provided resources. Um, but on average, I'd say that we're doing follow-up to, to five or six veterans a day. Now, those initial calls, they're, they're not all veterans. Some of them are families, family members? Correct. Um, I think that we work hard to get the resource out to the community. We know that it's not easy to ask for help. Um, we, we want family members. We want um, friends, loved ones to know that the resource exists and to utilize the resource as they need to. Um, if you have concern for your veteran, um, for the loved one in your life, reach out. Ask that question, right? Are you thinking about suicide? Are you struggling? Is there more that we could help you with? It's a hard question to ask, especially if you're a dad or a brother or son. Yes. But it's a lot easier than saying, oh, no, I should have asked it Absolutely. after it's too late. Absolutely. So, Eric, uh, we've talked before when you were in about family members kind of keep an eye on their veteran. And if they see some kind of change in behavior, they look a little more depressed, they maybe you're drinking more, using some drugs or something, some kind of change, that should start the, the the conversation, shouldn't it? Yes. You know, the vast majority of people who are thinking about suicide let um, the people close to them know in some manner, whether it's either, you know, what they're saying verbally, asking for help, but also in just their behavior. So like you said, if somebody starts engaging um, in drinking more frequently or maybe they used to hang out in the living room, but now they're hanging out in the bedroom or not answering phone calls, um, there's just, you know, uh, people struggle, right? We all have struggles. But when you start noticing these significant changes that impact mood and the ability to, to interact and, and live with people, that's when your uh, senses should be going off like, hey, I better check in with this person because it could be that they're um, not doing well. And if it gets to that point in the conversation, asking that direct question, are you thinking of suicide is the most important thing you can do. And if there is a problem, help is available, Correct. Yes, we say that all the time, and, and especially, you know, we're seeing a lot more resources and organizations, uh, not only just with COVID, but with a couple of um, new initiatives that, you know, the state of Minnesota and the VA is going out um, and really trying to reach those veterans that aren't in care and then enhance their support by hiring um, more staff, increasing programs, uh, finding new ways to assess and screen for suicide, which really is the most important piece. We're speaking today about suicide prevention with the Minnesota VA Healthcare System on Minnesota Military Radio. 
Julia, I want to come to you. You know, we've got veterans of all ages, different health, uh, going through things, and, and the caregivers, quite often if it's an old veteran like me, it might be my wife, might be a, a ch- child of some kind. But sometimes the caregivers get to the point where they just, they just don't know what to do anymore. Do they call? Can you help the caregivers? Absolutely, we can help the caregivers. Um, I just talked with one yesterday who was struggling. Her her significant other um, veteran was endorsing symptoms of um, of mental health. Was struggling to manage those. She had felt as if she, you know she had she had done all she could to assist, and he wasn't accepting of the help. Um, and and so feeling that down, right? Feeling that lack of energy, feeling some of that hopelessness, right? And I talked. I she talked. I listened. And so just providing a space to listen, I think that in society today, right, we're all so busy and we all have our next place to be and this next task to complete. And we just forget the importance and life-saving, how life-saving human connection can be. And so just creating a space to have a conversation. And I provided resources for her, though not a veteran, and Eric, Getting, here, here yeah. in Minneapolis, at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, we've got the Veterans Adult Daycare. So if the caregiver's worn out, they need to go to their own medical appointment, they need to do some shopping, maybe just go have coffee with their girlfriend. There's a great place to take the veterans out at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, and they could get part of a day off to do some of that for their own mental health. Yep, absolutely. Respite care, or they can sit in the lobby or go hang out and, and do what they ever do. And as Julia said, you know, the caregiver piece is so important. They have to be strong and taken care of as well. Julia, uh, there is a new national crisis line. They switched over recently to 988. They did. What do you think of that? That's going to make it a lot easier, isn't it? They did, and I think that, right, that was was the goal. That is the goal right now. Um, You know, the number 1-800-273-8255, that's still in existence, and it will be until everybody becomes familiar with the 988. But our hope is is with this easy-to-recall three digits, that will have more people reaching out and utilizing that resource. Eric, you've got to be happy about uh, that 988 coming up and, and a lot easier to remember than 1-800-273-8255, press 1 yes. at the end of that. <laughs> yep, it is, absolutely. And so the chat function online is still going to be available, and so is the text um, to talk. That's going to be the same as well as long as that 1-800 number. So everything's the same. They just shortened it to 988, and we'll be able to access that just as easy. Now, Julia, i got one last kind of tough question, and that is for veterans that are enrolled in the in the VA healthcare system, hopefully they call the 988 and they know they're going to get taken care of. But if we have veterans that might not yet be enrolled, they can still call as well, right? Please call 988. Um, call 1-800-273-8255. Um, reach out. I, I would say a significant portion of the calls to the crisis line are veterans who are not engaged in care, who are reaching out, who found the resource and are desiring to get connected. We'll help you get connected to the VA or to community organization. And Eric, uh, coming back to the last question for you, we've said help is available. But once you've talked to the veteran and you've, and you've zeroed in on what kind of help they might need, the VA system has inpatient care. They have outpatient care. They've, you've got a list of referral sources. You can, you can focus in on who they need to talk to and help them set up those appointments, right? 
Yep, yep, absolutely. And then, you know, as as big as the VA is and as many neat people that need help, um, we're doing even more to enhance the community care. So if some of those appointments are too far out, um, the, the VA will connect those with those in the community that they vetted and um, pretty much uh, can verify that they're going to take good care of the veterans. So, yep, the like Julie said, the biggest part is just call, let us know what you need, and somebody will be there to help you and help you figure it out. And Julia, last question for you. If some of our listeners want to get involved and, and join you and your team and get some training to help our, our veterans, uh, are you looking for volunteers? Are you looking for people? I would say that, I mean, reach out to the crisis line and you know, no matter where you are, where you're living, we can help to get you connected to an organization nearby you in your area to assist our veterans, to assist their family members in providing that support to navigating crisis. And if you just generally want to help volunteer, Director Kelly needs all the volunteers he can get to, to run the Minneapolis VA Medical Correct. Center. Yeah. yeah. So, Eric, any final thoughts for us? No, just a reminder of 988. Um, just keep that in the back of your head. And as we keep saying, do not hesitate to call. Even if you're not the veteran, not enrolled, if you're a family member, you're concerned about a veteran, um, reach out to us and, and we will help you. Eric, Julia, thanks for joining us today. That was Eric Wittenberg and Julia Paleni from the Minneapolis VA talking about suicide prevention on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about family programs with the Minnesota National Guard. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. Uh, on today's show, my co-host is Doug Wortham, and in a moment he's going to come back and talk about family programs for the Minnesota National Guard. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. The Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs is honored to serve our state's 304,000 veterans and their families. If you are looking for a way to support our veterans, please consider an online donation. The veterans we serve range in age from young men and women in their 20s to seniors in their 90s. They have served in World War II and Korean War, to the Vietnam War and the Global War on Terrorism. MDVA cares for and supports veterans throughout their lives, from supporting their education and employment searches, assisting during challenging times, providing health care as they age, and facilitating a dignified and respectful burial at the end of life. Please consider donating to MDVA to support Minnesota's veterans. Donations can be directed to one of Minnesota veterans' homes, one of our state veterans' cemeteries, to our Programs and Services Division, or to a general donation fund. For more information, visit minnesotaveteran.org slash donate. On behalf of Minnesota's veterans, I thank you for considering an online donation. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. My co-host today is Doug Wortham, and uh, Doug is a retired command sergeant major. When you were in that role, you not only had to take care of your soldiers, but you had to look out for their families. This is a pretty good topic for you. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, of course, uh, that family support behind that service member is extremely important, and it's great to have uh, the organization put a lot of emphasis on how it is to take care of of the families behind that service member. So here to talk about the Soldier and Family uh, Services uh, Program is Kirsten Johnson. Uh, Kirsten, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you so much. It's great to have you here. And I want to start off by getting to know a little bit about you. I understand that you uh, served in the Army Reserve, and then at some point in time you made a transition into the Minnesota Guard to provide 
service support. Can you tell us a little bit about your military career and then what brought you to the Minnesota Guard? Absolutely. Um, I spent 10 years in the Army Reserves as a medic. I got out in 2013 to support my um, then-husband who had some severe PTSD and uh, issues from two tours in Iraq. But I also missed serving. So a year later, I found the uh, substance abuse program that just had started up to be civilian-led here at the Guard and uh, moved over here. From there, I became the state lead for suicide and substance abuse prevention. I started the program over at the 133rd Air Wing when they began a civilian-led program and uh, just found my way back. I miss the Army too much, so here I am with families and soldier support. You know, it seems kind of like a an actual good transition for you into where you're at. I mean, obviously, you've got the military experience. You've got the experience in the medical uh, field as a combat medic. And then the different assignments that you had um, inside of the Minnesota Guard as it relates to the substance abuse program. And now as a family service specialist, a soldier in family service specialist, you kind of have all this background and experience to bring to the families, the soldiers, and, and help to really kind of explain and provide resources uh, to those families and soldiers. Yep, absolutely. Both uh, professional and personal experience has really driven my passion to help soldiers make changes for this program to make it work for families. And so as as I said, um, and, and I think, I know you would agree, the, the family um, is extremely important. And we concentrate a lot on on the uh, the soldier or the service member, uh, the airman, whatever the case, what are some of those challenges that you see um, most frequently as it relates to the services that you you provide or you can lead people towards? It's hard because we do have such a diverse force in terms of ages and stages of life. So when we're offering anything, an event or a class or something, we're talking to you know eighteen year old kids who just got out of AIT and we're talking to, you know, a lieutenant colonel who's inching toward retirement. So it's really finding a good fit and finding really broad programs that can help everybody kind of wherever they are to just do better in their, you know, support them in their life outside of the service. And are you doing just like like outreach type of things to get into the units to start with the soldier or the service member first to explain what the program is, or how do you make that connection to or through the service member to the families? Yep. The big step one is command buy-in. So I'm really fortunate at the 34th Infantry Infantry Division to have command support, where they really give me a lot of leeway to get in front of soldiers and offer these services and talk, you know, share whatever I need to share. So getting through to them first and then getting directly to family members through social media, through uh, emails, through volunteers, and really letting them know directly what's going on and what we can offer them. And you are um, working for or with the Minnesota Army National Guard, and then you're based out at the 34th Infantry Division in the uh, General Jack Vesey Readiness Center. Is that right? Yes, I am. There are uh, 15 of us around the state. So I'm assigned to the 34th Infantry Division, but I have all these coworkers at all the other battalions who cover down for those units as well. And so you will take a uh, a phone call or an, and you'll have this outreach and you'll always try to connect the uh, service member or the family to the closest site um, so that you can really focus in on the units that you directly support within the 34th Infantry Division. Exactly. And also because we have so much local support from Yellow Ribbon companies and communities that a lot of times 
they'll have resources like, again, a guy in Duluth. You know, I don't know what they have up in Duluth, but my counterpart up there does. I know what's in Arden Hills and I know what to connect them with down here. So uh, finding the best person locally has really gone a long way in getting people full service coverage. And so obviously you spend a lot of time speaking with uh, service members, with uh, family members, conducting that outreach, uh, getting to know people. Uh, what is the, the thing that, that you really truly like the most about what it is that you do? What, what gets you up and gives you that motivation every day to go into that readiness center and, and continue working? Mine is uh, the one-on-one. Really, you know, all these services have always, and not always, but for years existed for soldiers. But sometimes there's so many that it's overwhelming. So I get to be kind of a navigator for them. I get to really talk about what's going on, dig into the issues. Maybe they come to my office with a financial issue, but we find out they have some medical stuff in the background or they have some childcare things that we can help with and revealing those things and kind of guiding them through all the different things that they can do. So helping them find those, getting great word of mouth is huge. Um, And then also just encountering super generous community partners. I love working with our yellow ribbon companies and communities who step up and give whatever I ask for and no questions asked. And it's been phenomenal to just see that kind of generosity in the community for the local National Guard units. I have to imagine that it's great to be, you know, really kind of in with like the Yellow Ribbon Network, having those connections. So I assume that no matter what situation a service member or family member brings to you or someone on the team, you have a way or a resource to lead them to. And it's nothing that you're just, you're dumbfounded about. I mean, you can get somebody to the thing they need because of the network and the connections that you have. Exactly. Yeah. And that's so, that's so important, especially as we do try to take care of um, the service members and, and the families. So the, the, the job or the thing that you do isn't just sitting in an office uh, waiting for a phone call from somebody, I assume. You, you plan some events and uh, you take care of uh, soldiers, service members, and families through events and trying to get people brought together to build that community, I would assume, as well. Exactly. So I do a lot of, um, yep, so I am in the office, you know, at the division, but then I also do uh, community visits, site visits with partners, um, client visits. So again, a soldier who is in need, I can deliver groceries to, or I can bring out a gas card or help them with whatever they need. So it's really versatile. So we have just about a minute left in this segment, and I want to hear about this event that uh, that you helped plan and put together, um, which was very well attended, I, I'm, I'm hearing, um, out at the division headquarters. Yep. We had 1,200 uh, soldier and family members attend our family day this year, and uh, it was a combination of the whole division, but the uh, significant parts were it was entirely volunteer staffed and three-quarter funded by uh, Yellow Ribbon and community partners. So we had groups, uh, Local 563, Lockleaf International, a bunch of uh, local to Arden Hills groups stepped up to serve hamburgers and do the lines at the bounce house and run the whole event so that every single soldier could participate and have a great time. That was huge. Well, that uh, sounds like a lot of work and planning went into it, and I'm glad you're able to pull it off. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about some other family-type events that uh, are in the works or have been in the works um, coming out of this uh, pandemic era. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us, and we'll be right back with Kirsten Johnson. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. This is Doug Wortham along with uh, Tom Lines here, and we've been speaking with Kirsten Johnson, who is the Soldier and Family Service Specialist with the Minnesota National Guard. And uh, Kirsten, just before we went into the break, you were talking about this big family day event that uh, you put on out at the 34th Infantry Division. A lot of planning uh, went into that. Um, Sounds like it was a fantastic event. What I'm interested to know is... When we bring those families together, we get our service members together for an event that big. Is it all just about going and having a barbecue um, and, uh, you know, maybe something cold and refreshing to drink, some ice cream, some games for the kids? Or are there other things that you're trying to incorporate into these family um, events to provide additional resources and services to our service members and their families? Yep, we were definitely, um, you know, advertising kind of what we can do and just stop and help and doing networking there. Uh, some of the big focuses for this one, too, were integrating, again, everyone at the stages of life. So it wasn't just an event for kids or just for spouses. We had stuff for single soldiers of like a tug-of-war contest and uh, beanbag games going on and things like that. So it really was about serving all of the soldiers who were there and trying to approach all of them to feel welcome and included as, you know, family and friend members. Um, and that they were also allowed to invite whoever they wanted, where it wasn't just your dear spouse and kids. It was invite whoever is your biggest supporter. So seeing some of their parents and their roommates and girlfriend, boyfriend show up was awesome, too. And I think that that's important because, you know, we talk about the family support or the people behind the service member. But the people behind that service member aren't always an actual family member, blood relative. Often it can be a neighbor a best friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, etc. So it's important to have that type of inclusivity, isn't it? Exactly. That made a huge difference. Okay, so then moving forward, all right, it's great to have these games, these team-building events. But I, I would assume as well that you want to be able to open up and get ahead of some of the issues or crises that you see um, on the from the service members aside from a family day. So are there some things that you're trying to do in order to get ahead of those problems? We are. So the Family Readiness Group has recently restructured at a national level. And how we're doing that in Minnesota is not just making it for Family Day, but we're bringing things like resilience and financial education. And all the things that we've been teaching soldiers, we want to start teaching spouses. So we're hoping for really regular interactions to get the whole family involved in these wellness initiatives that the military has been really good about growing for the last few years, but that kind of stop at the soldier that aren't getting through back to the home front. So teaching that to, again, parents, spouse, kids, whoever is supporting the soldier so that they have a full circle of um, information and understanding of everything outside of their service. And I think that's important, too, because when we talk about the previous topic of suicide prevention, um, often... Uh, more often than not, uh, finances, relationship issues are at the very top of the list of why someone goes into some type of a crisis and, and wants to maybe go down that path. And so as you can promote resources, training to not only the service member but the family member, uh, I think you get a great opportunity to kind of nip it in the bud uh, before it does become a crisis. Exactly. Because just like they were talking about of watching those changes in people, who's going to see the changes first? Your spouse, the people who live with you. So if we can tell them the warning signs, I think that's going to be huge in shifting all these suicide prevention numbers down and making a change for the whole system. 
So if there was a message that you would have or final thoughts for service members, for family members, or just supporters of members of the military, what what kind of message or support would you like to see uh, given to not only the uh, soldier and family services, but then, of course, back into the military community? It's really just get involved. There are so many spaces where you can get involved and again, as a family member, as a community member, anything. Um, if you want to volunteer your time, great. If you have money to give, wonderful. If you have items, we'll take them. It's really just start asking. And I think the soldier family readiness representatives like myself and the other 14 of us around the state are the ones to really connect you in the right place to put your efforts somewhere that will be it will be the most useful. And I think one of the big messages as well is just get involved. Um, Whether that is the Family Readiness Group, the Yellow Ribbon Network, get involved because everybody has a skill set or something they can bring to the table to provide and um, give back to that military community as well. Exactly. Awesome. Well, hey, Kirsten, thank you so much for spending some time with us, giving us a little more information about the soldier and family services. Um, I want to thank you for your service to the Minnesota National Guard, your service in the Army Reserve. And uh, thanks for joining us on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. Appreciate it. Joining us now is the senior enlisted advisor, the command senior enlisted leader for the Minnesota National Guard, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper. Command Sergeant Major, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back on. It's wonderful to have you on again and uh, and hear your voice. I always love chatting with you. Um, you know, last time we spoke, and it's been a little while, we spent a lot of time talking about the uh, Army. So I think we should change gears today and uh, give some special attention to our air brothers and sisters. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Minnesota Air National Guard Outstanding Airmen of the Year and the results of that competition? Oh, absolutely. So uh, yesterday they actually had... Uh the recognition for the Outstanding Airman of the Year for the Air National Guard here in uh, Minnesota, uh, which is a culmination of after they've uh, competed uh, through the various levels at their respective wings, the 133rd and the 148th. And just happy to say that we had five outstanding airmen that uh, rose to that level from, uh, let's see, so it's combined. I don't have it between the two of the 133rd and 148th, but Airman of the Year was uh, Staff Sergeant Madison Moritz. NCO of the Year was uh, Tech Sergeant Michael Schutte. Uh, the Senior Non-Commissioned Officer of the Year is uh, Master Sergeant Shane Chisco. First Sergeant of the Year was uh, Master Sergeant Sterling Hartwick. And then they, they include an officer to make that branch feel as uh, welcome as well. And they had Major Katie Lunning uh, be recognized as the Officer of the Year. So great job on their behalf. And now these individuals, my understanding, go on to compete at a regional level. And then if they do well, then it, and it just uh, continues on and they go to a national level where they could, you know, theoretically come back as, you know, the airmen of the year for the army or the air national guard uh, for the 54th state territory and district of Columbia. Yeah, I've been a part of that competition and, and I've seen how that works and it's great to be able to recognize them. And actually there's some names on the list here that I do recognize from my uh, service. So congratulations to uh, those five outstanding uh, airmen. Let's talk about the 148th. There's a couple of different things uh, going on. You've got the, the air show at the 148th and then the 148th had some uh, airmen redeploying. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was a, it was a great event last weekend up in Duluth. They had uh, uh, in conjunction with the Duluth Air Show, which was uh, um, you know conducted up there. They also had 
the 21st annual Delta Dream Flight in conjunction with the Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals. Uh, they hosted approximately 150 students from the Atlanta area to fly up to uh, the 148th Fighter Wing. And, you know, it was kind of STEM-focused, so science, technology, uh, engineering, and mathematics. You know, so they came up there to, you know, look at the star base, get a tour of the uh, facility, get to see the F-16s and the F-35s in action. And then, you know, one of the better parts of that day was they actually got to uh, receive a briefing during lunch from the Thunderbird uh, pilots that were up there as part of the air show. So just a great day for those uh, young, uh, I think they're 13 to 16 or 13 to 18 year olds from the Atlanta area being able to come up here and see that. Uh, and then the second part about the 148 that's, uh, you know, good news for Minnesota is we've, we've got approximately 350 airmen returning from uh, a six-month deployment over in the Middle East. And uh, they did a, a phenomenal job over there and participated in exercises and operations. And they were uh, essentially arrayed around the uh, CENTCOM AOR, so the Central Command uh, Area of Operations to include uh, in Qatar uh, and Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, I believe Kuwait as well. So great job by those airmen and happy to have them uh, returning to the state next month or next week. So we've got about 45 seconds, our major. Quickly, let's talk about the 133rd and then see if you can touch on the Army National Guard's Best Warrior Competition. Absolutely. So, you know, the 133rd has been doing great things as well. They've had airmen up in, uh, over in Japan conducting training as well as up in Elmendorf, Alaska. And in addition, they've been um, participating in a large-scale exercise over in Wisconsin where about a third of the entire wing was deployed. Um, and then finally, we've got the Army National Guard Best Warrior Competition uh, being conducted 23 through 29 July down in Smyrna, Tennessee. Well, good luck to uh, those soldiers at that competition. And Sergeant Major, uh, thanks for joining us again on the Minnesota Military Radio. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Doug. That was Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper, the Command Senior Enlisted Leader for the Minnesota Army National Guard. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Eric Wittenberg, Julia Palenti, Kirsten Johnson, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper, my co-host Doug Wortham, Commissioner Larry Herkey, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we talk about the Minnesota National Guard's 55th Civil Support Team and get an update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.